Hello and welcome to the Upper Bowl GM podcast. My name is Nick Sararis. We are in a nice swing here, both from a content perspective and from just a viewership as a sports fan, man. Conference championship games this set this weekend, hockey's rolling, NBA rolling, college hoops is in full swing. Got baseball's hot stove heating up. Today, one of the more interesting storylines in sports. Next week, Lake Placid, New York, the National Women's Hockey League, NWHL, is having a bubble playoff short season in the light of the COVID situation in the United States. The NWHL felt it was best to do a multi-week tournament. It's over the course of two weeks. Instead of trying to play out a full season, the logistical problems of trying to move the six teams around the northeast, uh, northeastern region of the United States. This episode is more of a little bit, it's flavor. It'll help you understand the storylines going into the bubble, the state of women's hockey, which is something, as a proponent of hockey, I've, I don't do as much watching as I should, but it's quality hockey. I got to bring on one of my friends who writes about this, podcasts about this, does a lot of really good work, Leanne. She's a good conversation we had. I will see you guys on the other side of this drop. Oh, let's do that hockey. The Buttes will run out of time, and the brick wall is untouched. Gary Miller, Katie Fitzgerald with a brilliant shutout, one nothing, and the Riveters win the Isabel Cup. And with that, to give us a little... <clears throat> flavor for the upcoming NWHL season. I welcome on someone I've known for quite a while who uh, talk a bit, quite a bit about hockey. We like to make fun of teams with bad social media presences who don't really communicate their message well. She writes a lot about hockey. I've read, a, I read quite a bit of her stuff at Ice Garden just to kind of get my brain ready to do this because like I said in the intro, I, I've done a lazy job of keeping up with the NWHL here and there. I've checked in, but how are you doing, Leah? I'm doing great. I'm always ready to talk about some women's hockey. It's grown on me over time. I mean, I, the Olympics is obviously the entry point for a lot of people when it comes to women's hockey, especially for just someone like me who just appreciates hockey. It's where you get introduced to a lot of people, then you got to keep up with what they're doing. And it brings us to an interesting point in the history of the league, which we're going to get into. But because I remember when the league first came around 2015, they had the four teams, that kind of thing. It's been an interesting journey for the league as a whole. Definitely. And actually, technically, the league first came around like 10 years before that, disbanded once, came back again. So it's kind of a theme across women's hockey that that happened. So hopefully this time around, we're trying to not have them disband and go away and then come back again. It's hard and it, it's unfair because a, a lot of the things I've read about, I've, a lot of the profiles I've read of the people involved, whether it's people who are central to the league, like in organizing it, or the people playing hockey, it's just that these are elite level athletes who deserve an opportunity to continue playing once they finish college. Because that it's not a question for a guy hockey player that when they finish college, if they are that good, someone will take a flyer on them, even if it's just an AHL invite. For a lot of these women, it's you're finishing your college degree. And if you're lucky, 
you can play in some kind of organized league or you end up on a national team where they take care of you, but it's not exactly the best existence. Definitely. And I think like, I mean, like you said, there's a lot more opportunity too, because if you're a guy and you play, there's the NHL, but there's also all of their, you know, lower level leagues. You can go overseas. You have a whole bunch of leagues to choose from there. If you really want to make it as a full-time professional hockey player, as a woman, you have to be good enough to make the 23 person roster for your country. And that's just, that leaves so much less room and you have to be so much better. <laughs> and even still, it doesn't compare to the counterpart. I mean, I have my own issues with uh, like IIHF, but they canceled all of the women's tournaments this year and still had the men's world junior classic. And it's like, so even if you do make it to that level, you're still probably going to get treated unfairly. <laughs> and it's a recurring theme that's going to continue to come up because this entire, this, the way it is set up is it's unfair. It's set up for these these players to go up through the ranks then you get one or two olympic cycles out of them and that's the end of their hockey career if they want to continue with their life in hockey it's you're a coach you give back you volunteer that kind of thing there is no there aren't women hockey lifers like there is in the men's game yeah very very few and i think we just maybe have seen a couple of those kind of pop up like i mean there is like hillary knight who can sustain herself on chobani and red bull like sponsorships but but other than that, I mean, still, she still coaches, she's still doing other things. And I think that also like really speaks to the fact that like a lot of these women have day jobs, they're coaching yeah. on the side, they're doing all these things that the whole art, like, well, they're not the best. They're not elite. Like, it's like, yeah, they're really not because they're working like 14 hour days and then going to practice. Like if we could actually give these women enough money to play full time, I guarantee you that the level that I think already is professional would even be more elevated. So it, it, it all runs in a circle. All of these themes bleed into each other. So we'll start getting into the rundown now that we've kind of set the tone for where this is going. Tell me a little bit how you got into hockey, because as you and I like to make fun of, hockey is a very niche sport for people with too much time on their hands. So what is your hockey villain origin story? Yeah, mine's definitely very strange. Um, I probably didn't really get into hockey until I was like 10 or so like nobody in my family before ever cared about it although my dad did say that when I was like an infant if you put me in front of hockey on tv like I would shut up so maybe this was all just fate <laughs> um like he said you just he was like you're so mesmerized by the ice I don't know so I'm calling it fate but um my brother started playing when he was like three or four or like closer to four um and we have different dads and so his dad had played hockey so that's how he kind of introduced it but didn't really start watching it until my brother started playing. Um, and I was like, I was like seven, I'm seven years older than him. So it was kind of weird for me, but like really only watched him play like youth hockey. And then we started watching like all of the local teams. So got into like high school hockey. And then he would always get like, his team would always get free tickets, like local college games. So that's how I started watching hockey. So it definitely was not like any sort of elite level of, of playing here. Um, and I, I mean, I think, I don't know, I think it might help out why I care a lot more about the kind of like even more niche hockey markets because I started watching youth hockey, literally. <laughs> and that's part of growing the game is that organic grassroots stuff where it's just someone found it by accident and they're like, okay, I like this. I'll tune in here and there. Then you slowly but surely get a little more invested, lose a little more of your soul every time your favorite team loses that kind of thing. It, it, it's a good, it's very fitting that that's how you got into hockey. And that's kind of what 
the the NWHL is dealing with is they're trying to organically grow the game without a ton of institutional support. And it's a good thing that they're getting as much exposure as they are. We're going to talk about the NBC deal a little later in the rundown, but very interesting parallel there. Yeah, I always definitely equate the two. <laughs> what player do you have an irrational attachment to? Who's the hockey player that you defend for no reason? That just... This could um, take a while with you. Oh, yeah. Oh, you already know. Um, I was trying to think about this when you sent me this question before, because I was trying to think of it in like a childhood perspective of how I was. Because like once I got to the NHL level of watching hockey, I definitely always was a Rangers fan for better, for worse. So for worse. <laughs> um, but for some reason, like when I was a kid, I also just loved Zach Parisi and like everyone around me was like, why are you obsessed with this devil? <laughs> And I don't know why. I still to this day cannot tell you, but I just like him. That's what it is. Um, as for right now, anybody who knows me knows that I am the biggest Alexander Georgiev defender of the world. Like, I don't know. That's another thing I do across all sports leagues, no matter what. My favorite players always end up being like the backup players, the fourth line players, the, the bench guys, because like I like breaking my own heart when they get traded. Um, that's how I felt about him really thought he was going to be a draft day trade and uh that didn't happen because I think that Chesterkin got into a car accident so he yeah. saved all of our goalies so like thank you for getting to a minor car accident uh but that's my that's my irrational attachment player right now and probably will be for a long time he's not bad he owns the Islanders which is important because I think he's better I think like that was part of the issue of last year's entire like goalie saga was that he was much better than anybody expected yeah which is great for me <laughs> we love that for you we love that for you that that's what matters yes. okay so stepping into the time machine going into the modern because I know you had mentioned before the 10 years prior but in the modern NWHL, 2015, there's the four teams. The one in Boston, Buffalo, Connecticut, and New York. There's a, a small presence on the internet, not a ton of access, kind of hard to find games. But I remember when it first came back around because I was like, oh, these are all the people from the Olympic teams. I'll go to a few games. And I remember I went to two or three Riveters games that first year when they still played at the Aviator before they had the deal with the Devils to play at yeah. um, their practice arena. And I remember being like, this is, it's quality hockey. It's cheap. You can meet the players after the game. There was a real effort to grow a fan base that it was as organic as possible because they were try starting from the ground up. There was no institutional support there's no original six there's no we've been doing this for 120 years because our grandfather's grandfather did this this is we have a dream we want to do this yeah um that's definitely true they also just to to kind of like more of how they came about the cwhl was a thing that existed yeah. in canada so a lot of those players had existed or they've always existed but played <laughs> there too um, but the issue with the CWHL was that they were set up as essentially a non-for-profit organization. So yes. they weren't paying their players, which is, I mean, that's a thing across the board, across the globe. You can see there's, there, there is a lot of opportunity for women to play hockey, quote unquote, but they're not getting paid for it. So it's like, it's really easy to put together an organization where people can play, but that was it, Danny Ryland uh, founding the NWHL was the step into like, no, we need a professional place where they will get money for this 
Um, and obviously right off the bat, and, and it'd probably be this way with most men's leagues throughout history too, that like, you're not going to have $10 million contracts the first year that you're creating anything. Um, so her, her mindset was like, can we just get to the point where players aren't losing money to travel or for equipment? Um, like, we just want to be at a point where they're not losing money. They're, they're making something, um, which we'll see how that lasts. <laughs> so off of that, there's always kind of been the underlying tension between the Canadians league and the league here in the States, because they're fighting for the same pool of players and, We've seen people jump back and forth where when the NWHL first came back in 2015, a lot of people from the Canadian League jumped back. But over the last few years, there's been people who went back to Canada, Hillary Knight, who you had mentioned before, one of them. Because I remember I, I remember seeing the, her tweet the thumbnail of her wearing the Canadian's jersey, and I was like, did I miss something? It, it, did the Montreal Canadian sign Hillary Knight? And I missed something because I saw the Photoshop, and I was extremely confused. I about it. I mean, I... It'd be a good move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that underlying labor tension and explain it in a way that people who aren't as familiar with the history can understand it. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I mean, a, a lot of people will say, whether it's men's, women's, whatever, that one of the biggest, if not the biggest rivalry in hockey is USA Canada. And they show that every time the Olympics rolls around. So I think part of that bleeds over into this where the minute that Rylan kind of broke off and said, Hey, I'm going to make my own thing down in America. It's kind of like this very typical old school, even though it is women and it's kind of more progressive people. It's this idea of like, you're going to do what you're going to leave Canada and you're going to go do hockey somewhere else. Like you can't do that. <laughs> um, also, like you said, the idea of she's trying to pay players, that's where they're going to go. Even if it's 10 grand, 15 grand, whatever, like, play here and not get paid play here and get paid I'm gonna go get paid um so yeah a lot of players did join the NWHL the first like you said the first season um which like full transparency I didn't even watch the first season of the NWHL um I really like I knew about it but I, I was not watching that much um because again it, it really wasn't accessible it was like YouTube clips that were gone after they happened it was really hard to watch um but yeah a lot of players jumped down that that created an original like animosity um, and then they did actually play one game where they had a CWHL team play yeah. an NWHL team, um, which unfortunately now is kind of more known because there was a really, really uh, terrible yeah. accident in the game. Um, and, and Dana Lang, who her sister plays for the Pride still, um, got a big injury, but that kind of obviously overshadowed the, the, whole, the whole game. Um, but that was there. I mean, they were building this rivalry from the beginning, which turned bad when they also just stopped, stopped agreeing on things. Um, so two years ago now, 2018, um, they were both kind of coexisting and the CWHL did start paying their players too, because the NWHL was doing it. But, um, the NWHL ended up losing a lot of players because they, there was like, you said a labor dispute, which is right, but it was more kind of like mistreatment. Um, there's a lot of players that just don't really think it was run very professionally. They ended up making far less money their second year than they were their first. And like, so yes, still getting paid, but it was like, Hey, you kind of promised this thing was going to be bigger than it is. Um, so I completely understand why, especially Canadian players would say, okay, I'm going to go back home, you know? Um, but yeah, like you said, Hillary Knight went, that's a huge name. I mean, where Hillary Knight goes, people are going to pay attention within the women's hockey world. So they were kind of coexisting very peacefully 
Um, and then the CWHL folded in I think May of 2018. Yeah. Um, and, or it was like, they had announced it in like April and said like a month from today will be like the end. And everybody just kind of scrambled because once again, we're kind of doing this rinse repeat thing where we've created this world for women's hockey players to exist in, but now it's gone again. How do we, how do we start over? Um, and from a like journalist perspective, we're over here like scrambling to like, I had literally that day I remembered finished my like season recap of CWHL teams. I'm like, well, this is useless now. <laughs> um, but figuring out where they're going to go. And it's like, well, who's going to go down to the end and who's going to go here. And could you could go play overseas. Are people just going to retire and like all this hockey history that's going to get lost if like Poulan can't play another season or whatever. Um, which is also a theme again throughout history. I know you said we we're going to talk about that later, but uh, you know, scrambling to find a place because even if you did say all six teams that were in the CWHL are all going to join the end, there's not enough room because yeah. you know we're not going to expand fast enough. The NWHL did announce actually that they were planning that summer to expand to two Canadian markets to try to um, bring some of those players in, but what ended up happening was the formation of the PWHPA, which is Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, um, who they still exist today. And they kind of branded themselves as not a league, but a movement uh, to try and basically say, this is the end. We're not doing this again, where we don't get a league, where we just lose out on all this possible playing opportunity. Um, and they've kind of formed a nice <laughs> rivalry, I guess, with the NWHL too. Um, because they, their point of view basically is that they don't think that the NWHL is good enough. Um, I don't want to put words in their mouth because I think they probably wouldn't say that directly, but what they want is a fully hundred percent sustainable league. They want NHL investment. They want the men to be behind it. Um, so that's what they're kind of striving for right now. And I fully agree with the fight that they're in. I think it's long overdue to have it, but some of the ways that they go about it. <laughs> I don't necessarily agree with, but they do have the names on their side. They have Hillary Knight, they have Marie Philippe Land, they have most, if not all, of the um, Olympic, you know, national team rosters on their side, which makes it a little bit easier to get that recognition. Um, but yeah, that's where we're at now. <laughs> and there is an excitement in the hockey community for this bubble in Lake Placid, which is next week. The 23rd is the first day, I believe. 23rd, and, yes. Yeah, there's legitimate excitement. They've got, their games will be on Twitch and there'll be games on NBC. So there's ease of access now. You've got a legitimate media backing. People will be able to find this stuff. The key for them, I think, especially in terms of the bubble, is playing their games at times when they're going to be able to drive discussion whether it's on the internet or whether it's just the talking head shows just giving them a bone because it's the only thing that's on and I think for people like us who watch hockey we're going to watch hockey no matter what time it's on but to grow casual people it really helps to be the only thing in a time slot I know that's really helped soccer in the United States is it's on on Saturday morning and Sunday morning when there's no other sports on so people like me who just want to watch something will oh, there's soccer on this. I'm not really into soccer, but I'll give it a try. And say so you gradually yeah. get people involved. And I think that'll help them going forward. Because if they're playing on weekdays, mid-afternoon, people like me are who are, you know, either you're working from home, you're unemployed, something to throw on in the background while you're working and peek your head up every now and then when a commentator's voice fluctuates. So what are you excited yeah. about in terms of the 
possibilities here. I think, um, I mean, just going back to what you said about Twitch, I forgot to even say that, but like I, I had a conversation with Madison Packer on the rivers who I, I asked, you know, what's your favorite deal that you've had or whatever. Um, what do you think has made the most impact? And she straight up told me like the Twitch deal, hundred percent, like, like they, prior to that, they really couldn't tell you how many people were watching or like, you know, everybody knows like YouTube views and stuff is very, very hard to like track how long somebody actually stayed with Twitch. I mean, it, there's such a great layout of how many people are watching. And just in last season alone, they had like over 8 million viewers. So it's kind of like, here's this number where you can't really say nobody's watching this anymore because you had 8 million viewers. <laughs> I mean, I know that's across the season, but, you know, um, being someone who was in the Twitch chat every single week, every, every week, there was new people saying like, Hey, I kind of spawned this, like, tell me about it. Um, so like you said, garnering that casual fan is really important. And that Twitch deal made such a difference in that. Um, and I know, cause they did drop the bubble, uh, season, uh, schedule. And I I don't think there's any, like, I think there's like a few one o'clock time slots, but they're on the weekends. And then all the other ones are like 5.30, 8.30. So it is that prime time uh, slot, which is the first time that this has ever happened for women's professional hockey um, on a cable network too. So the semifinals and the final game will be on NBCSN. Um, Also, Madison Packer did predict that they will, the viewership will outnumber vastly world juniors. That's her prediction. So can't wait to see that happen. But um, yeah, I think you're completely right that the time slot makes such a difference. And like 8.30 p.m., NBCSN, like hockey watchers are going to be there. Yeah. That's great. And that's really what I'm excited for. I'm just excited for it to be back. They haven't played a game since last March. (laughs) Um, And I'm really, really excited for just the matchups we're going to get to see. I think the Boston Pride and the Minnesota Whitecaps play each other first on day one if I'm correct. And that should have been the Isabel cup final last year. That never was. So really, really excited to see that really excited to see the new expansion team. Um, yeah. I'm just ready to watch more hockey. <laughs> I took a day off work for opening day. <laughs> As someone who prior to this year had done just put outright played hooky for the Rangers home opener since his like sophomore year of high school, I, I, I completely understand. It's important to get to hockey and to experience hockey and, I know how important the bubble was for them because there. I remember a point last summer where there was a concern if they were even going to be able to have a season this year because of the logistics. That's unfortunately, what the NWHL did have to, which I'm glad that they they did whatever was keeping everybody safe. Obviously, yeah. But that's the fate that they saw was that they couldn't even do anything with the rest of the season. So yeah, and it's important that you don't lose any of that momentum. I know. I've said that a few times now, but when you're growing something grassroots style where it's one person telling another person word of mouth to spread something, it every single individual person matters. And for a league that is trying to grow and has every chance to, this is exciting. I They keep mentioning it. I watched pretty much every single one of the NHL games that's been on NBC since the league came back. And whether it's during the intermission, whether it's during the game itself, it keeps getting brought up that, yeah, there's going to be women's hockey on NBCSN, and that is important. That is part of the discussion. That is part of growing the game. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really important, too, to get that, like, adult viewership because they, yeah. the NWHL does a fantastic job. So does the PWHPA of – I mean, every time you go to a game, there's, like, teams full of little girls that are yeah. there, and I think they do a great job at that – owning that market of, of the whole idea of you can see it, you can be it, like – Let's make sure we always have 
our junior teams out here. So little girls know that this is something they can do in the future, but um, you know, and that's part of the fight too, of, of both the PWHPA and the NWHL that we're trying to do this for the next generation so they can make more money so they can do this professionally. But I am like, I'm tired of watching careers get wasted in, in ways that we don't know how to count your stats. Like I want something for you right now, who's playing to be remembered because you deserve that too. It's long overdue for that. So get the adult viewership now, like get these games on NBC now. <laughs> so hopefully it's a really, really good turnout and they, they hop on and grab some more games next season too. It, because it, to your point about that, it's trippy because when you go to the Hockey Hall of Fame, you see the people who played for Team Canada and the women's team, and their plaque just has the years they won the gold medals on, and it's really it. It's not the 1,500 games, 1,100 points, captain of Team X for X number of years, Hart, Art Ross Trophy, Rocket Richard Trophy. It's just gold medals, 1996, 2000, 2004, and the stats they had in international tournaments, and that's just not fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, part of the problem with that too is like not not to really give the Hockey Hall of Fame too much credit, but <laughs> like it's really hard to know those things when there's like six different leagues you could have played in from 1990 to 2010, you know, um, it is a goal in the NWHL as worthy of a goal in the WWHL or the CWHL or whatever, um, or vice versa, you know, like, and and then just on top of that, I mean, the stats tracking, even on the most basic level, is just not there, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is really unfortunate because we should know those things about these players. Like, and we should be able to have, it's already an uphill battle to try to say that they belong in the hall of fame. But if someone asks you why it's like, I really know how to tell you because I don't know their stats to tell you that, you know? I know Mike at Ice Garden has written about this quite a bit about the importance that yes. giving just advanced stat tracking, being able to track where the shots on the ice come from, that all adds to time on ice. we don't even get time on ice in the nwhl right now <laughs> yeah all of those things just help add to the legitimacy and building the game you want to have a historical mm-hmm. record you want to be able to build that these aren't just hockey players these are people you had mentioned before that a lot of them have actual jobs on top of playing hockey that's part of their story and it's what's at least on a human interest level has made me interested over time is reading the stories about the people who are, you know, like teachers and they play hockey on the weekend professionally. And like, mm-hmm. that's awesome. Like, but you know, I think si- they did profile oh, no. on Kaylee Hutchinson from the Riveters recently. And it, she did like a day in my life type of thing. And it was like, wake up at 6 a.m., drive here to go to my nursing school. Then I have to go to clinical. Then I go coach. Then I maybe eat. Then I'm on the ice at 10 p.m. for practice. And I'm just like, yeah, of course these players are not going to be. <laughs> you know at the top of their game they're getting like four hours of sleep doing a 10 million different things and then hopefully get to practice you know which is like I'd be so like and they're already so good anyway it's like I, I so want to get to the point where I can see what a player can do when their entire day is dedicated you know when you can have two practices a day instead of a week and stuff like that so it's all grown it's all part of the plan and we've seen individual instances of the right sponsorship opportunity cropping up the one that comes to mind is the um the Budweiser one with the national the women's soccer team which is a golden opportunity because you just cloak yourself and yeah this is the best team on the planet here's our beer drink it use it in all the celebrations and stuff and that were pictures from win were like iconic like Budweiser right there and I think the thing too with sponsorships because I know 
at least with the NWHL, they, whether it's a bigger sponsorship or a small time one, they go so far out of their way to really promote those things. Yeah. Um, like they're like, I mean, Duncan is a huge sponsor yeah. of hockey across the board, but they've really like dug in on, uh, women's hockey and just I mean constantly they're always tweeting about getting their Duncan and I'm like you rarely see like men's hockey players do this because they don't they're not as invested in these sponsorships because at the end of the day they're going to get their contract where it's like a lot of these women are like we need to make sure that we have a league next year yeah bring the Duncan and tweet a picture (laughs) the the commercial with Pasternak is hysterical the commercial with Pasternak that was that was you know every 30 seconds during the playoffs last summer that was with that too, because he did the one with Kendall Coyne Schofield, yeah. which on the flip side of that, I mean, it, great props to him. Like very rarely will I like say go Bruins, but um, he fought for her to get equal pay for that commercial. And I was like, it's kind of hilarious, but hilariously sad that like, even in the scope of a Duncan commercial, the woman was going to get paid less. <laughs> when I think, I mean, maybe not on an international level, she's more famous, but like, her name's pretty big too. So how yeah. did you really show up and think I'm going to pay him $60,000 more just because why? Because he's a man like, but shout out to him because he said he would he wouldn't do it unless she got equal pay. So I'll take that. So now that we've kind of covered the metaphysical questions, the philosophical questions, let's just talk a little bit about the hockey now. So we have six teams in this league. You, there's the Minnesota Whitecaps. There's the Riveters. There's the Connecticut whale. There's the pride. There's the Buttes, and then the new team, the expansion team, the Toronto Six. So in terms of the historical pecking order, which teams have been the better teams over the last few years? I know Boston won the first year, and they've they've kind of just had a steady stable of players. I know the Riveters have had some pretty big names over the few years. They had Amanda Kessel once upon a time. So talk to me about the state of the league right now in terms of pecking order. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'm sure it'll shock everyone to know Boston and Minnesota have <laughs> been really at the top. Um, that's kind of part of it, though, is that it really it's not like the NHL where anybody can go anywhere at any time. Um, so unfortunately, geographic location does have a lot to do with it. There's just more hockey players in Minnesota. So Minnesota is going to be better. Um, you know, same thing with Boston. Uh, but they definitely, like I said before, they were supposed to battle it out for the Isabel Cup in March of 2020, which seems like 15 years ago. Um, so they're still definitely going to be good. Uh, Minnesota has retained most of its roster. I think there's three rookies, um, and that's the least out of any team. So I'm expecting them to just be really, really sharp because uh, they've had that much more time to play together. Um, Boston is still going to be fantastic, though, without a doubt. Everybody's saying they're the one to beat. Uh, They only had one loss last year. So, you know, they've kept both of their great goalies. Um, They have the highest score in the league. Um, Name these people. You have to name these people for a casual audience, please. Jillian Dempsey's captain of the pride. Uh, She leads the league in probably everything. (laughs) Maybe not assists, but definitely goals. Um, Kaylee Fratkin, probably notably the best defender in the league. Uh, and then Lavisa Salander, uh, their Swedish goaltender from last season, who, like I said, only lost one game, and it was like a really, really close game with the Whitecaps. Um, they're coming; they're all coming back. So right there, that's scary enough. Even if you just put those three out there, I'd still think they were going to beat anybody. <laughs> so fantastic players there. Um, 
the whale have always been on the flip side of that and have been at the bottom. <laughs> They're the only founding four team to have never won a cup yet. Um, but they play that underdog role so well <laughs> that you just, you have to root for them. Um, but yeah, they're, they're there. The Buttes and the Riveters kind of float in the middle a lot. Uh, they both are very, very like gritty, aggressive teams who have formed a rivalry with each other because that's what happens when you put a whole bunch of fighters out on the ice together. Uh, the Riveters have Madison Packers, their captain. She's kind of chasing Jillian Dempsey for goals overall, but she also loses a lot of ice time because she spends a lot of time in the box and she's definitely the uh, person to prove you wrong about like goons can't score because <laughs> she'll like lead her team in penalty minutes, but also goals. So what can you do? Um, the whale, I will to go back to them. I think they're going to be a lot better this year than anybody gives them credit for because the people that they have brought on have been phenomenal. Um, I'm going to look at their roster really fast. I have it. They, I know Haley Mack. I'm really excited. Or no, she's going to the white caps. Oof. Um, but either way, they're going to have like Amanda Conway. Oh, they, they were, they were going to have Melissa Sam, Sam Soskovich, but she just announced yesterday that she will not be joining them, which kind of sucks. But um, I think they're going to be better than anybody, anybody expects. I think especially like playing eight, nine games in a two week bubble, it, you could be the best team and have two bad days and find yourself struggling to get back up there. So I just think it's going to be really fun to watch. Um, the six though, the Toronto six, they're going to be amazing. I know it. I, everybody knows it. They're going to be great. I mean, it's Toronto. Like they've brought back so many great players that haven't gotten to play over the past couple of years. Um, like Dark Angelo, their captain, she's just going to be great. They actually, so they signed Kelly Babstock, who's probably, I mean, definitely not like a Hillary Knight level name, but a notable name in women's hockey. Like she announced she was playing again and it was like, oh my God, where's Kelly Babstock going? Um, only practiced with them for like a couple of weeks and then they traded her to the Riveters for draft picks, which I don't know why, but <laughs> they did. So um, they, they lost out on that one, I think. But again, I do know like subconsciously that it's probably because of her real life job, mm -hmm. um, especially when now you're introducing this whole idea of like, you have to cross the border to go places. So I almost guarantee you there's probably like visa issues um especially with COVID because you know but Riveters won out on that one hands down I mean she's going to be phenomenal the Riveters also brought back uh, Rebecca Russo who prior to Allie Thunstrom being in the league was notably like the fastest skater just absolute like sniper type of player um so you've got her you've got Babstock and you've got Packer all back on the same team like the Riveters are going to do it <laughs> I'm a little biased because they're my favorite team but that's the, that's the whole point of this. You're supposed to be hyping up things you care about. This, <laughs> this, for us, hockey is our child. We just want everyone to enjoy our child with us. We want as many people to come watch our hockey as possible. I, okay, you don't want to watch that? Come watch this. Try this. Try that. You yeah. can find a good time with any hockey team. I, uh, while we're recording this, I've been side-eyeing the Islanders-Bruins game and like there's like 15 <laughs> shots on goal and midway through the second period combined between both teams. Has it on the room, I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, not, not been a particularly good hockey game, but it, it, it's still hockey. It still gets the juices going. It's one of those things that's hard to explain where it's 
no matter what level of hockey, college, high school, the NHL, the NWHL, the Olympics, the juniors, whatever, you can find something to be entertained by. It is such a fascinating game to watch where the trick I tell all of my friends is it's the trick everyone who watches hockey tells everyone is look where the puck isn't because that's where it's going. And yes, that's very cliche, but it's the key to watching hockey like an adult and it makes it easier. In something I wrote the other day, because I was writing about the Whitecaps and I said, because Ali Thunstrom is, she used to be a speed skater, like mm. actually. So she's fast. Um, and I always, I think I said that, like, I was like, she actually plays where the puck is going, like not where it is. And she's probably gonna like beat that too. Cause she really is, but yeah. <laughs> we both have content to go create. So I'm going to get you out of here. Before I let you go though, Hype up some of your pet projects, whether it's Ice Garden, Not Your Papa's Hockey. Tell me a little bit, tell the view, listeners out there the kind of stuff you work on and where they could find it. Yes, I um, originally mainly just did social media for the Ice Garden, which I'm still doing, literally taking days off work to go tweet about hockey at the Ice Garden. Um, we cover all women's hockey there, so college, international, uh, NWHL, everything. Um, and I'm also writing for Hockey Wilderness for the next couple months, just specifically about the Whitecaps. So getting really like nerdy and all Minnesota-y, Minnesota-y over there. Uh, so you can check that out too. Um, and then Not Your Papa's Hockey is kind of like a different project that I started with two of my friends um, where we are not women's hockey specifically, but we just try to hype up underserved hockey markets. So uh, one of them, Jess, she lives in uh, Mississippi so she talks all about like SEC hockey and stuff like that which like people don't even know exists um, and we're doing some really fun stuff over there for Black History Month um, we do a lot of really cool fan profiles of people from, that feel like they're from underserved hockey markets um, so you can check that out too uh, we have a really really cool video dropping I think tomorrow on the Ice Garden that's all NWHL bubble stuff so check that out because I spent all day editing it today <laughs> Support your content creators, people. Please, people like Leah and people like myself, all we do is sit on our MacBooks and listen to them, to sa- listen to them sound like jet engines mm-hmm. while we try to edit together 30-second videos to maybe get a couple likes and retweets. Throw us a, a bone every now and then, please. There's nothing worse than put, spending an hour and a half editing a 40-second video to get 100 engagements on it. It, 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 it. There's nothing more disheartening. Support but your independent content. Something oh, that that's like super stupid will get 10,000 likes <laughs> like I got all of Canada mad at me because I tweeted that the Canadians weren't real yeah <laughs> like and it had like it had like over a million engagements at one point I was like this is it this is the one that's gonna do it for me like when I make fun of Winnipeg for not having an airport I exactly. god damn did the Jet fans get upset about that yep social media is very dumb this conversation was not thank you very much for coming on Definitely going to have to check back in with you in a couple of weeks to kind of talk about how the bubble is going because multi-week season, then you'll have a little bit of a playoff. It'll be very fun to watch. I hope everyone, you know, takes the plunge. I know the NBA and NHL are going on. I know the NFL playoffs are going to occupy your Sundays. Drop in here and there. It's quality hockey. About the Twitch is you can have the NHL on TV and you can have the NWHL on your computer. Don't tell me that you've never like triple watched things. You can do it. It's fine. (laughs) That's a really good note to end on. All right. I will be back tomorrow with a Chicago Blackhawks episode 
the Blackhawks are in absolute freefall post-Dynasty years, and I found someone to come and try and help me peel back the curtain and understand what the hell is going on in Chicago, and if there is any hope for the Blackhawks in their remaining 53 games. I will see you guys tomorrow. Please subscribe on iTunes, follow Spotify, leave a review, bump the tweet if you, if you clicked on the link. Appreciate it. See you guys.